Would you like to hear two swimming-obsessed podcasters chew the fat on all things swimming? Well, on this week's episode, Robbie Cox from Off The Block Swimming Podcast and myself definitely gave it a go. How did we get started in podcasting? Who have we enjoyed interviewing? What have we learned about coaching, swimming, racing, training, podcasting, the Olympics, the Paralympics, and much, much more? We even touched on the culture in Australian swimming, both historically and at present. In fact, we could have kept talking about swimming all day and also enjoyed regaling stories about our own experiences in the swimming world. We really hope you enjoyed listening into this collaboration as much as we enjoyed making it. Hi, Robbie. Lovely to meet you. You too, Danielle. It's been a while in the in the making, mate. We we've been talking for quite some time, haven't we? Especially before when you wanted to start your podcast and reached out, and I gave <laughs> a bit right. of feedback, not as much as I probably should have. I was a bit busy at the time, but we we definitely uh, have uh, made it work, and we're here now. So, how you been, anyway? Yeah, good, good. Um, How's lockdown of- happening? Going down there? Obviously, it's we're, I'm in Sydney, yeah. so it's I think eleven weeks at the moment. So we're going a bit nuts. I know. Well, I think adding up our last year's lockdown, which was 11 weeks plus what we've done this year, it's, you know, up to two, over 220 days. Mm. So I think there's just a bit of lockdown fatigue across the whole um, the whole of Melbourne at the moment. People are just sort of walking through the motions, getting through as best they can. But it's um, it's certainly, I don't, uh, I just can't see the end in sight at the moment. I'm sort of losing a bit of hope. Yeah, I think Australia's in Corona fatigue. I think I think we're just all over it. So, like controversial question, Danielle, have you been vaccinated? Yeah, I'm double vaccinated. How about Ooh, yourself? Double. Look at you go. Um, I've had one. So um, more so not because I held off for any real reason. I'm just 35, so I just was in not the priority zone. So once I was able to, um, and then I'm booked in for another one as well. So not that I love being vaccinated, to be fair. No. Like for everyone out there who is somewhat against it. Um, for me, I actually hate needles. I've, I've fainted about two or three times whilst getting needles in the past. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I didn't want to do it, but I, I want to travel. I want to get around. I want to get back to normal life. And for me, that's, I, I think, the only way we can do it, really. Absolutely. I, th- I mean, that I noticed in the news this morning they put out the vaccine passports are coming, coming in the next few weeks, and I think they're going to be linked to the QR codes. Mm. So I think that in the end, you're going to have to be vaccinated if you want to do anything like go to a sporting event or go to a restaurant or back to sort of some sort of normal life. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, I've got a couple of mates, not too many, but I've got a couple who are dead against it. (laughs) You know, they call me, you didn't get it, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, my God. They're disappointed that I got them. Anyway, and so... For me, to them, I just say, well, look, it is your choice, but just understand that your choice is going to have a consequence in the end, which is when I go to the footy, you can't come with me. Yeah. Or, you know, when when, when yeah. I'm going to Queensland for a, you know, a trip away with the boys, it's only the boys who have been vaccinated that are going to be able to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, I understand how bad that sounds to those people, but it's just sort of the way it is, isn't it? We've, eventually, we all have to learn we've got to fall in line at some stage. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the message at the start was all this doom and gloom and, you know, people getting the virus and then dying. And I think that they should have really given people the rewards rather than the sort of mm. lockdown and wearing curfew and you can't do this, you can't do that. Get vaccinated and then you can get out of it. 
Oh, well, look, I mean, me and you could probably have a whole podcast <laughs> on all of this stuff. I and... off the topic, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, mate, it is topical and everybody listening is going to have an opinion on it one way or the other and, you know, everyone yeah. that's tuning in is, you know, going through it as well. And I think it was interesting talking to Gus Wallen the other day who's um, a big, you know, media personality here in Sydney um, and, and works with Gotcha for Life and we were talking about this sort of stuff and the negative impact it all has mentally and and he was saying that you know we've been focusing on the wrong things for far too long they should have been setting that goal very early on of what we needed and then t- working every day in those positive areas to to push us in that way rather than telling us every day how many people have passed away and all this sort of stuff and it's just sort of built up that negative sort of mindset isn't it yeah definitely i mean i suppose the way it's affecting us is that there's no swimming <laughs> So that's, and I know that's why we're here to talk about that. Yeah, 100%. I think that makes it really depressing because obviously your pools are all closed, our pools are closed, and unless we live within 5K of a body of water, we can't swim at all. So Yeah, no, 100%. Um, Well, we can't swim at all anyway, so we're always um, governed by what the local governments are are saying and doing. So even if, say, you know, Gladys Berejiklian came out and said, um, you know, this is the answer, it still then comes down to the local governments, whether they still want to do it or not. So then even that adds a, another layer because that's what happened to us last year. I work at wow. um, Bexley Aquatic Centre and that's where the, I'm the head coach there. And um, I think, you know, certain pools were starting to open again. So I got all excited. And then um, <clears throat> our local government at Bayside um, didn't open the pool. So, right. okay, you know, that, that adds another layer. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I'll go back into like, coronavirus and COVID, but it's funny that we're always supposed to be uh, all one, even, you know, Australia or the world, like we're all one, but as soon as coronavirus hit, they're even pegged you down to like your local government area. Like here's the border. You are this, you are that. And it's just, it's been super frustrating to be honest. (laughs) It is super frustrating. How are all your swimmers going? Um, Yeah, look, frustrated and, and I guess um, going a bit stir crazy at home because obviously, yeah, we're in Sydney. So similar to you guys last year, this is our 11th week, as I said. So they're doing uh, all their school at home on Zoom, um, which I only, I mean, you're you're a school teacher yourself and I can only imagine, like just putting myself back being a student, how boring that's going to be. Because I used to get bored just in class, let alone (laughs) if I'm sitting on a Zoom call all day. So um, and, and you guys are definitely earning your money having to, you know, try and keep people's attention through all of that because, you know, we do our own um, Zoom sessions four times a week, um, uh, training at home. So, and I know you spoke to Kirsten Norton and, and I get her to do a session with my guys once a week with Swimnastics um, and she's yeah. fantastic. And I always say to her, I don't understand how she can still be so bubbly and enthusiastic, even though she's done a thousand Zoom calls. Like I get over it after just two or three. I just think, oh no, this is this is not my wheelhouse to be bubbly and all right, guys, here we go, star jump. So yeah, look, they're they're ready to get back, as I think a lot of um, swimmers in Sydney are. And um, I think the main focus that I've been talking to them about as a coach is just um, not stressing too much about you know people getting a leg up on us or whatever it is. You know, it is what it is, and. We're not going to get back in and start flogging them straight away and overworking straight away because I think that's the wrong thing to do as well. So we've just been really talking about our our goals and our plans still and what we want to do when we get back in. So similar to what you said about just that light at the end of the tunnel, just (laughs) making sure they still see something. 
um, and just keeping them yeah, positive in terms of knowing where we're heading and we still have our individual goals and we will get there. It just might not be as quick as we wanted to this time around. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Kirsten, back to Kirsten too. Mm. She she is even more bubbly in person. So you'll have to get her in when when you get out of coronavirus. And she's she's actually moved up to um to Noosa to work up with um Ash Delaney up at um the private, I've forgotten the name of it now. It's a private school in Perigian. Um, yeah, so well, I, yeah. I, I'm actually I'm talking to her on Friday, funnily enough, for the podcast. Um, because we I see her every week for the for that for our Zoom chat. Um, and then I, I just hit her up and I said, listen, we've got to get this, um, we've got to get this interview happening. When, when can we do it? So we're having a chat on Friday mm-hmm. and I met her um, up on the Gold Coast at Age National. So Barry Prime, one of the Swimming Queensland, um, you know, head coaches and, and directors up there introduced me. He was just having a chat to her and I know Barry really well. We've had many beers together. So he just pulled me so, so oh, have you met Kirsten? <laughs> and, and away we went. And yeah, you're right. She's very bubbly and um, she does a great job. Yeah, yeah, she's terrific. Well, we should talk about how these podcasts started. So I, I just want everyone to know that you were one of my inspirations for starting the podcast because when we were in heavy lockdown last year and I was doing lots of walking, my daughter said, why don't you listen to a podcast rather than, you know, listening to ABBA or whatever you listen to when you walk? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I searched up swimming and I came across your podcast and I was obsessed with it. Um, and it was one of the one of the reasons I started mine. How did you sort of think of it? Because I think you were one of the very first swimming podcasts out there. Well, firstly, thank you for that little um, pump up of my tires. I, um, <laughs> I, it's actually funny when I do hear people say that. Like I, I, um, I had a guy once um, direct message me and say that he actually pretty much binge listened to a whole lot of my podcasts when he was driving from. I think it was like. Townsville to to Brisbane or something like that. He had a long drive. And I just thought, wow, like my wife wouldn't even listen to my voice for that long, let alone. (laughs) So so it just blows my mind when I hear that. And and I definitely, you know, get humbled by it and I appreciate it. Because to be honest, Danielle, and I'm sure you're probably the same. Once we, you know, do our, our content bit here and we edit it and we put it out, I don't know where it goes. Like I'm just sitting in my room or my garage or wherever I am and it just goes. So it sort of, as I said, blows my mind when I hear, you know, someone in in Scotland saying, oh, I just went for my run and listened to you. Then I'm like, wow, that's crazy to me. So um, (laughs) thank you for that. Um, And in terms of, you know, where it started, um, it it, it all started really out of, I don't want to get myself into trouble with Swimming Australia here, but frustration that there just wasn't enough happening in terms of swimming content in Australia. And you know, I'm a rugby league fan and, you know, if you want to listen to a rugby league player get interviewed, I mean, you, all you have to do is go on YouTube or watch Channel 9 or watch Fox Sports. I mean, it's everywhere. You can't escape it. And for me, there was just no reason why we couldn't be having some of that with swimming. And we just, we really had none. And I'll give um, I'll give uh, Effortless Swimming a plug because I think they were sort of the first swimming podcast. They weren't sort of doing what, I went on to do in terms of really trying to, you know, yeah. work to the younger swimmers and, you know, improve, um, incorporate that into, you know, swim clubs and things like that. I think they were more around triathlons and um, masters yeah. swimming and, and that sort of stuff. But I mean, they were really the only ones doing it. And it just, you know, for me, it was just frustrating that like, okay, here's swimming Australia, here's swimming New South Wales, Queensland, all the, I'll put them all in there. 
They've got <laughs> access to these swimmers. Why, why are they not creating this? And it just it built up to the point where I was like, all right, let's stop whinging about it and let's start doing something about it. So I had no idea how it was going to turn out. I had no idea if it was going to sound any good or people wanted to hear my <laughs> annoying voice, as I said. And um, and funnily enough, I, I don't know how it happened, Kirsten, uh, Danielle, but I was friends with Jess Shipper on Facebook. Right. And I just thought, oh, well, here we go. I'm friends with Jess Shipper. So I reached out to her and and God bless her. She's a legend. She said, yeah, that's fine. I'll meet you for coffee. So we sat down at Chandler um, out the back uh, in the cafe area and set it all up. And back when you could do podcasts face-to-face and not over Zoom. <laughs> um, and we had a coffee and, and yeah, sat there and had a chat and, and away it went. But, yeah, it was it was born out of frustration and and for me as a swimming fan and as a coach yeah. with younger swimmers who who wanted those swimmers to learn from from our Absolutely. elite athletes. Um, and yes. it just, it wasn't happening. So I thought, bugger it. I'm, I'm going to make it happen myself, whether it turns out good or not. I have no idea, but <laughs> away we went. What about for you? Well, as I said, I sort of was a bit inspired by you and also Brett Hawke. I started listening to his ones as well. And, and then after a, a, you know, a little while listening, I sort of thought I'd really like to hear from some swimmers who are my age, you know, people who loved swimming when they were a teenager and maybe out of the water for a long time and, and back in, um, you know, what are they doing? Because I discovered master swimming when I was in my um, sort of mid-40s, um, you know, after my family started growing up and I had a bit more time to myself and I could get back to the pool. And the amazing people that you meet when you're travelling to all these meets, some of those stories are just so inspiring. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time for me to put some of those things out as well. So that that's how that all started. And, and like you, I was learning from zero experience. <laughs> I don't have a background in this, but I just love swimming, love swimming, love master swimming, and I, I want other people to love master swimming as well. So that's how it, how it sort of started for me. And then it just snowballed. And like you... Um, I actually was friend. I was friend. I am friends with Lindley Frame, and we were on a few sort of junior state teams when we were teenagers. And she kindly said she'd be my first guest. And when I look back at that now, I I, I look at that interview, and and it was a lot of it was just laughing, and it was very stilted, and I think it was probably pretty unprofessional. <laughs> at the beginning of the whole the whole podcast thing, and um, you know, she was so kind to give up her time to come on it for me. So I was going to that, ask that. Have you, yeah, yeah, have you gone back and listened to your first one? Because I purposely don't, because I just think it would just be cringy yeah. to me. Not that I think I've taken it to like a super professional level now, where like, but I definitely think I've I've learnt to zig when people zag and and understand that sort of stuff. Where before I think it was all just you know, reading my notes and I, I was very careful to follow those notes. And even if, and, and what I've, I've realized over time is even if say, for example, this conversation, Danielle, where you take it somewhere else, well, because I was only new to it, I would always just bring it back to whatever my next question was. I wasn't even really engaging in a conversation and picking up what you were saying as you were saying it. So I think, you know, for me, that's, I've learned to the art, I guess, of having a conversation if that's if that sounds really strange because we're doing a podcast but I, I think I've learned to communicate a lot better through this what about you yeah I agree and I mean even the first few I did were a blank screen 
So the first few I didn't even have video because I started on this um, platform called Zencaster. I don't know whether you've ever heard of that. And it was just an audio recording. Um, and it wasn't until that started not working for me that I swapped over and I've got some, you know, I can actually see my guests, which helps because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see their face and it's nicer talking to someone. It's as though you are you are in a coffee shop and you're having yeah. a bit of a chat. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I, I've listened. I haven't listened to those early ones all the way through, but a few sort of little grabs here and there. But like you, I feel like I've, I've become a lot more relaxed. I think at the start I was rushing, mm. like um, speaking so quickly and, and trying to get, yeah, like you, trying to get the answer yeah. as quickly as I could. <laughs> and on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And as I said, you know, I think it's just that art of learning to, to communicate and, um yeah, it definitely something that that took me a long time to work out. And I, I think for you know for anyone listening out there who is doing their own podcast or anything like that, that would be my um, advice: is do listen back to what you have done before. Don't just let it go because you can pick up a lot of lessons. Like obviously, we listen to Brett's and we listen to other podcasts as well. And um, I'm a big you know um, fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. I've actually been binge watching that in late at night at the moment because I've got insomnia. I can't sleep through to, through COVID. Oh, so no. <laughs> it just felt like oh, 2 a.m. I'm still awake, but I'm, I'm watching Joe Rogan. So um, I think, you know, we can learn a lot from that, but I think going back and listening to our own stuff, I think you definitely pick up a fair bit of, um, okay, well, that wasn't good. Let's change that. Let's make sure we, we yeah. get on top of that. Um, mate, quick question back to you. What, what have you learned? through your podcast from talking to your, your guests? So obviously not so much about how to make your podcast better, but just in terms of information that that you've gotten from them. Have you taken anything away that you've been able to implement into your own life? Yeah, look, I think the, the biggest thing that's come through in talking to all these master swimmers, swimmers and I should sort of clarify that for people who are listening, um, master swimmers, uh, master swimming is typically 25 and over, um, although in Australia we do have eight, an 18 to 24 age group. So we're looking at sort of like more mature swimmers, mm-hmm. um, just the different approaches they have to training and what works for them. I think as you sort of get older um, and you have to fit that in all around your real job, <laughs> your professional <laughs> life, yeah. just what people are doing out there with their training, the different ways they approach it, different ways they sort of um, look at their strength training. I mean, some people I've spoken to don't do any dry land work at all mm. and they're, you know, they're swimming at amazing times um, and others are, are fully into, you know, lifting weights and um, doing other cardio stuff. So a lot of those takeaways, but I think the main thing that's come through is just the people I've spoken to, their love of swimming, whether that be pool swimming or um, open water swimming and the passion they have for it. And I think the community that they have around them um, sort of, you know, we're all part of different swimming clubs or different groups or different squads and just having those like-minded people around you inspires people to to keep turning up to the pool or keep getting up and going down to the bay and swimming in 10 degrees or whatever it is. Mm. You know, having that group of like-minded people is motivating and inspirational. And I think it's good for people to hear that, um, as you sort of, you know, get older, you can all, you can still have goals. You can still have these goals that you're reaching for and you can still attain them. And I think it's really important. It's not something that you have to think, you know, when I was a swimmer, when I was a, te- a teenager, 
it all finished when I was 19. There was there was nowhere to go. There was not, no sort of extra things that you could do. Mm. And now there is. There's yep. so much more knowledge and we've we've got sort of links into social media and, and the internet and we can see all those things. There was none of that when I was swimming. Like I wouldn't have known how to apply to go to a US college on a, a US swimming scholarship. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have known how to do it because it just didn't just didn't come past my sort of my thinking at the time. So, you know, those kind of things have been lovely to get back in touch with that whole swimming culture. And I think as you're older, it's more about the process rather than the, the sort of the end result. And I think people fall back in love with swimming because yeah. I, know I, I know I have. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of just for me as a coach, um, I haven't been able to at, at my pool at the moment at Bexley, but with technically just about to start taking over um, the squads as my own business. So I'm definitely going to introduce a, an adult slash master's squad um, at, at Bexley coming up soon. But um, I know when I was coaching up at Albany Creek, I'd, I'd every Thursday night have a, an adult squad. And a lot of those guys were you know, triathlons or open water swimmers and stuff like that. And, and I really enjoyed it because they were all there for a reason. Um, you know, no one's mummy was pushing them there. No one's, no one's, you know, <laughs> you know, there's nobody there that, you know, didn't want to be there and everyone was like-minded and working together. And, and the other good thing is, you know, um, other than age group coaching is you can have a few adult conversations, which is always really good too. And jokes, you could throw a few jokes around that you probably couldn't throw around to, to the kids. So I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, to your point that, you know, it doesn't have to just end, um, you know, at the end of that 18, 19 year old age group. And I think, whether it's master swimming or indeed still swimming, you, you spoke to Andrew Lauderstein and, and look what he was able to accomplish in, in trying Amazing. to make his comeback. And you look at Emily Seabom, you look at Kate Campbell at their fourth Olympics. Um, I, I'm not going to know exact names, but there was definitely a few female athletes at the Olympics that had become mums and, and were yeah. still there either running or what, you know, swimming. I think there are a couple of swimmers as well. And that's phenomenal. Like that's something that was, yeah crazy if you look back to when like you were swimming or when I was swimming like this like I just remember always when you were when I was swimming it was like if you haven't made it by 15 16 you know start having a look around at doing something else whereas now um you know we know more about long-term athlete development and we know more about um you know what the body can and can't do and more you know around sports science so um it's it's crazy to think how far we've come but it's an exciting time as you said because now, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are or what you're doing in life. If you, yeah. if you want to get back into swimming, um, there's an avenue for you somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. One of the inspirations for me to actually start Master Swimming was, um, as I mentioned, Lindley, because she'd actually got back in and was training and having a, a fun time sort of racing all around Australia and, and whatnot. But Dara Torres, the um, mm. American swimmer who, um, I don't know whether you've read her book, Age is Just a Number. No, I haven't she, read it, but I know, yeah, I know of you the know about story. It, yeah. yeah. And she came back to race in Beijing after she'd had a, a baby and won a silver medal in mm. the uh, 50 metre freestyle. So, yeah. yeah, that was really inspirational. And I think, um, Good that people can can know that swimming is a lifelong activity, and even though you know we're speaking to people that are at the top of their sort of field at, at that point, it it sort of filters down to everyone else underneath. That swimming can be you know from the time you're a baby till the time you're into your nineties. Like I've got people in my club who are in their sort of early nineties, late eighties, and they 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 still train. They have a ball. It keeps them alert. 
and, you know, they're, they're sort of um, switched on to everything that's happening because they've got this, this um, passion in their life that they sort of are linked into each week and they come along and they have their master squad and, you know, if we can sort of bring that across to people throughout the whole swimming sort of um, fraternity, I think that we're, we're doing a good thing. Mm. Well, you, I think, again, you hit the nail on the head. It's sort of a way of life, isn't it? It's just a, an added extra bit of, you know, uh, exercise. But also I think one of the biggest things, and you, you sort of mentioned it before, is just that community aspect and getting everybody together and getting those conversations happening and things, yeah. you know, that you can chat about that you probably wouldn't normally be chatting about, you know, with with your friends or anything like that. Like it just gives you a different outlet um, and bonus where you're getting fit at the same time staying healthy and living longer so yeah That's absolutely true. and I mean all those things that you love um when you're a teenager when you're training like you know say you, your coach gives you you know 2050s or whatever and you you've got five seconds rest and you have that little garbled conversation at the end you know and it takes you all 2050s to get the full conversation out because you've only got a few words at each end I mean those things still happen when you're a master swimmer, it's still fun doing that kind of thing. And you know, I think when I was a when I was a teenage swimmer, I used to look at I think it used to be called Aussie, Aussie swimming then, and I used to think I am never doing that. That's for old people. But now I am an old person. <laughs> I like to think, oh, you know, I, I I feel young at heart, and I think all master swimmers do anyway. And yeah. those kind of things still occur. So that's, you know, that's why I love it. And, and that's that kind of passion is what I wanted to bring, you know, across in the podcast. Yeah. Well, mate, you're doing yeah. a great job of it. Um, congrats, you know, and as much as people, as you said, pump my tires up and say, you know what I'm doing, I think everyone's doing such a great job. And it's probably one thing that I'm really proud of at the moment in terms of swimming podcasts and content is that like I started mine in 2018. Um <clears throat> and like there was, as I said, I think um, Brendan was doing um, his one with effortless swimming. It wasn't sort of the, the market I was looking at, but I think that was really the only thing there. And, and that was more geared around, obviously, the business as well and, and the effortless yeah. swimming business and that sort of things. Sure. Um, and so when I started, like, yeah, there was nothing. And now to look at the charts, I know you look at the charts as well, and there's just so many swimming <laughs> podcasts on there. So I'm really proud of that, not to say pump my own tires and go, oh, I, I started that, but just to see that yeah. many podcasts out there and now swimmers are able to, to get on there and get content and get closer to their either their superstars or with what you're doing and, and giving them, you know, stories of, of master swimming, but in, also including Paralympians like Ellie Cole. I heard that one as well, and, that was, and Ellie's a, a fantastic human. Um, oh, had her on the podcast as well. And yeah, yeah she's, she's just, she's lovely to talk to. Um, makes the job easy, really. It's not really podcasting when Ellie Cole comes on. It's just, oh, no. it's just a great chat, really. She's um, just joy. She really is. Oh, and actually, yeah. on, on your, when you, when you started in 218, that was one question. Sorry to cut you off. I was just going to ask. No, you, go for it. Cause I'll talk all day. You, <laughs> why did you have that gap? Because I got I got so interested in listening to them all, and then there was a gap, mm. and I, I wondered why you had that little gap in the middle. Well, that gap um, we can name as Charlie Cox, who is my daughter. So, um, right. what what actually happened? And it's a bit more dramatic than than that with the way I made it sound as a joke. But so Charlie was um, born fourteen weeks premature. So um, I was down in Sydney. I just started coaching at Bexley. 
um, and my wife was still up in Brisbane getting everything sorted, ready to move down. We thought we had it all sorted and planned in a perfect world. You know, I'll get here, everything set up. You just come down, get in, settle in, have a baby, and away we go. Well, no, Charlie decided at 14 weeks, she, you know, 14 weeks early, sorry, she wanted to come into the world. So we were actually in hospital for about 101 days Wow. Um, all together up there at uh, in Brisbane and, and the, you know, the nurses and doctors did a fantastic job and Charlie's thriving now. You should have heard her before running around pretty much telling me what to do. Um, you wouldn't think of it now, like if you go back to that first time I walked in and she was in the little incubator and I think she was like 30 centimetres, she was super tiny. Wow. Um, and, yeah, just priorities shifted. So at that point, and we, we I think it was up to seven episodes or something or eight and I was getting a roll on and then um, that happened and I was just like, yeah, I think we need to um, <laughs> focus. Like I, I actually I actually stopped coaching for about six weeks. I just, I ran off pool deck that night. I've never, I don't think, might have been a PB actually for people getting from Sydney to, to Brisbane. So I, I got out of the pool um, about six o'clock and I was up in Brisbane in the hospital by I think quarter to nine. So oh, I actually fun. missed the birth because she was born at home, but we, um, you know, it, it was pretty quick by the time I got in there and, and God bless the um, Virgin Air and giving me free alcohol because I was just a blubbering mess. I was, I couldn't contain myself. I've <laughs> never had a plane ride like it and hope I never do again because, um, oh, yeah, it was. But anyway, long story short, yeah, I just thought, well, it's time to prioritise. And then um, sure. in, in the back end of 2019, um, Charlie was pretty healthy and, and, you know, thriving and everything was starting to balance out in terms of home. And I just started missing it again. So I reached out to Gian Rooney, who I tried to teed up the, in 2018. I'd actually been ready to talk to her a year earlier and had oh. to apologize and say, look, this has happened. Um, and as she is the professional, she was more than happy to say, oh, it's all good. Don't worry. Just spend time with your family. Don't stress. It's only a, a conversation. So, um, yeah, I ended up talking to her a year later and it just sort of sparked me back into it. I was really, really nervous. That was probably the most nervous I'd been for an interview because A, I know how professional Gian is and just I didn't want her to see through any flaws. So, you know, you know, you, you've, you've seen her on TV, you know what a professional she is. So I know if I'm doing an amateur job, she's, she's going to see it. So it's like, I've got to be on my game. But, you know, this was the first one after nearly a year and a half. So I was yeah. like, do I still, am I any good at this? Like, do I still have it? So, but um, as is the nature of her or Andrew Lauderstein or Ellie Cole, they just make you feel like it's, it's such an easy job. And once I started talking to her, I was hooked back in again and, and away we went and I've been doing it again. Yeah. Ever since I think I started it back in 2020 at the, like I didn't put that one straight out and then, um, away we went. Sorry to take that story on a very long no, rant. No, no, that, that was fine. I'm, I'm interested to hear because, yeah, as I said, I listened, started listening during that lockdown last year. Yeah. Um, and then I finished it all, and I'm thinking, ah, don't leave me hanging. I want more. <laughs> yeah, I um, I did one episode. It's the only episode I've ever done on my own. Um, basically to explain it. Um. And it was it was probably actually a really hard one to to do, and and you'll find this yourself if you ever actually just put one out of you talking because you you're just in your own mind and you you don't know whether what you're saying is is going to sound good or are people going to listen to it. But I, I just wanted to tell the story because I, I thought you know you guys as as fans and listeners probably deserved the truth of why there was such a, a break, and yeah. um, so I, I did put the story out there and. 
um, I got some really good feedback from it, funnily yeah. enough. So it was it was nice because I was like, <laughs> I don't know if people want to hear me, but I, I want to let the the story get out there. So yeah, it was Charlie yeah. um, that that was the hold up for a little bit, but um, she's awesome now. She quite often that was the other day. I can't remember who I was talking to, but she busted in the door and <laughs> charged straight into the interview. So. Yeah. Um, she's actually adding to the content now, which is good. <laughs> I think that happens a lot during this time. Have you ever have you seen that footage of that? Um, uh, I think he's a, a UK politician or some kind of expert where he's talking, he's in the suit and everything, and yep. then in the background his little baby comes into the screen and his wife crawls in and pulls her out. Yeah, and then there's another child, isn't there, that's in the walker or something yeah. that just pushes in <laughs> after them, like, where's mum gone, and follows him. Yeah, no. It, oh, um, so it's challenging times and everybody that uh, is working from home with with little kids will will understand yeah. that too. Like the amount of time I'm in here doing yeah. stuff and Charlie will come up and say, you know, I want to work too and grabs the microphone and says hello. <laughs> and, I mean, she takes over half of my Zoom sessions with the kids, to be honest. It's, it's <laughs> you know, she, she starts telling them what to do. But, uh, you know, we, we get through it. They probably love it. The oh, they do. It's a it. massive distraction, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, t- tell me, obviously, we, we both, you know, enjoy interviewing people and, and getting guests on. And is there anybody that, you know, swimming wise that you'd, you'd love to talk to? Do you have? So yeah. for me, when I first started, I had a, a top five list. Yeah. They were just goals, like ultimate yeah. goals. Like number one is Michael Phelps for me. That's right. he is like, I don't even know if I could get through an interview if I was sitting next to <laughs> Michael Phelps. I would I'd probably, you know, have to have a few coffees or if it was a nighttime, maybe a few um, Jack Daniels, but just to calm the nerves. <laughs> Do you have a, a list? I've got a list and top of my list would be Matt Biondi. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Matt Biondi was always, I was a big fan of his when I was swimming and um, he's done a lot of master swimming mm-hmm. and I would love to have him on, but I yep. think I need a lot more experience before I have him on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, as I said, I think the funny thing is we think that, right, but then we get those sort of really pro experienced people on and, as I said, they make us feel like we're not even having to to do an interview. It just becomes very, like you ask one easy question and they'll take you on a 10-minute answer and you're like, God right. damn, I didn't think my question was that good, but thank you for <laughs> making it so brilliant. <laughs> and particularly when they say great question, it makes you feel really excited because you've asked a really good question on the podcast. Yeah, it is one of my favourites because I think it wasn't yeah. really that great, but thank you. <laughs> thank you anyway. Be kind. <laughs> yeah. um, the In other terms- one. I was, I was going to say, in terms of Australian swimmers, yeah. um, I think mine would be Kate Campbell. I would love to have yeah. her on. She and was, um, for Olympic yeah. Games, is such a, an incredible, I, I, I don't think anybody can really understand it unless they've been, you know, even as a coach to go to that many is incredible, but to, to be an athlete to go to that many games and the struggles and the ups and the downs and the injuries and the sacrifices that her and, and Emily Seabom, and she's got a tremendous story, Emily Seabom, in terms of, you yeah. know, what she's been going through in the last two or three years. And Absolutely. Um, it's it's phenomenal. They're, they're um, as you said before, just examples of what's possible if you really want it, and um, it's it's great to see. Yeah. Who who else do you have on your list other than Michael Phelps? Like what female swimmer 
Well, Katie Ledeck is on my list. Sorry to Ariane. I've had Ariane twice, but um, Ariane Katie... too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, she was. Well, she's one of those ones, as I said. Like I, I asked her a question just about a four hundred meter race plan, and she gave me poss- possibly the best answer ever. I know she gave um, me the race plan. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and it was just the, but the intricate. Like she just went through it. Like in my mind, what I wanted to know, she was ticking boxes as she went through it. So. Um, she was fantastic. Um, but yeah, Katie Ledeck is on my list. Um, I know uh, Ian Thorpe was, it, well, he still is on my list. I haven't had him individually, but I had the four by one freestyle yeah. relay from Sydney and that was on my list. So I actually got to tick one of those um, off my list, which was again, um, a, an incredible, you know, for me, I, like I was 14, 15 at the time when, when that race happened. So that was right in my sweet spot of my fandom as you know as you say of swimming (laughs) so when I sat down and they all their faces popped up I was yeah I had to keep it together and and I was really proud of that because I think not to toot my own horn but I'm pretty sure that was one of the only interviews around that time in this 20-year anniversary that we actually had all the four together so I managed to pull that off which I don't know now looking back how I how I did it (laughs) <laughs> um, given scheduling and you know how hard it is to line everybody up. We managed to line, uh, you know, the four of them up at the same time, but they're great guys. And um, yeah. I think that's one thing we learn through doing this is swimming. People are just really nice people. Like they're, they're yeah. just, they're happy to help you. They're happy to go out of their way to do anything. And um, yeah. I, I don't think I've had any real no's from anybody, like not from a swimmer anyway. I know we we're talking before about some of the managers and how sometimes difficult they can be to, to deal with. But, um, you know, from, from a swimmer's perspective or a coach's perspective, I've never really had a no. It might be a not right now. I know Mitch Larkin said um, it was coming out to a really busy time and he said, oh, mate, can we do it a little bit later? And, and then, you know, true to his word, we did. Yeah. Um, but they're just such great people and I think, it proves my point that there was something missing even back in 2018 when when I started it that, you know, these guys were happy to talk to anyone. <laughs> they, they were happy to push their stories out there. It was just yeah. a matter of, um, you know, getting in touch and, and putting yeah. the puzzle together. Yeah, having that platform to get it out. I mean, it, it's great for them to have their stories out there so that other people can hear about it and, you know, that then gets more people interested in swimming, which is good for swimming in general. Well, it's just like for me, I was talking to Bobby Hurley yesterday before we, because I, I do, a, um, you know, chats with him about the ISL and all that sort of thing. He's a super smart guy, um, Bobby, very analytical and uh, makes me sound really intelligent because he just he bumps my stocks up. Um, he's a great guy. And we were talking about, you know, for me, when I'm doing these interviews, it's more about like, I'm just the average punter. I'm the guy that's, I know I'm a swimming coach and I have a bit of, you know, knowledge. But really, when you boil it down to it, I'm the guy sitting on the lounge watching the swimming as a fan. And I I like to get those questions out there from that perspective. I don't want to say to dumb it down because it's not the right way of saying it. But if if that makes sense, like I I want a parent who's listening to really grasp that conversation and and get into it. I want um, someone who might not be that interested in swimming to hear it and go, oh, I can use that in in business. I can use that in my, my life, that sort of analogy in that story um we can always talk about how many you know 50s you're holding and best average on this time and what's your stroke rate and i get that and there is a 
There is a market out there for that. It's probably not a podcast, to be honest, that I would really listen to because it's not <laughs> it's not my, you know, I, I'm really interested in in mindset and mentality and, and what yeah, it took okay. to get there. And because I think that, um, sorry to go on another rant here, but I, I think that just get, it, it's more relatable. You can take, um, you know, what a, an Olympic swimmer does in that four-year build-up to that big moment into the business world and, and working in and building to your big goal that you've set in terms of your business and that sort of stuff. I think it's more relatable than, as I said, I think it just gets a bit more niche when you're talking about, all right, what's this set? You know, you listen to my podcast. Obviously, we talk about some sets and things like that. That's just to make sure we're covering all bases. But really, when when we start talking about mindset, that's just like conversation porn to me. I love it. I just I just get I just get really excited. That's just my favorite topic to talk about. Is like what makes these people tick. Yeah, it's been. It's been like if I had enough time, I'd love to start writing a book on on what I've learned. I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't want to put my name to it because I don't think people are buying a book that Robbie Cox wrote. <laughs> but I I just think it's you know the some of the stuff that I've picked up along the way is is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to um, interview Jim Montgomery, who. Mm-hmm. And I just reached out to him. He didn't know who I was, but I reached out to him. He was the first man that broke 50 seconds for 100-metre freestyle. Um, it's funny looking like, back oh, now that that was such a big milestone at the time, isn't it, now where we're. Yeah. Huge. And he won the gold medal in Montreal and he was coached by Doc Councilman. I mean, Doc Councilman, legend in swimming, yeah. you know, like the father of swimming sort of, you know, all coaches had that um, complete book of um, swimming encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. My dad had it when he coached me. It was this big, thick book, you know, big book that had all the the the, um the sets and the programs and everyone used to to go off that back in the day and he was so unassuming and lovely and you know gave so many insights into what he thought about you know heading out onto pool deck and what doc councilman told him and just his whole life around swimming and it was just one of the most interesting interviews i'd ever done um and i just i don't think anyone really even knows much about him and I was just so privileged and excited that he accepted my invitation to come on the podcast. So it's it's such a privilege talking to people like that and hearing, you know, their perspective, their perspective. And I'm also really interested in what they're thinking about when they're sort of in the marshalling room and yeah. what how do they get prepared for that race when they go out onto pool deck. And, you know, I've had lots of different answers, um, but... I think it's it's so interesting hearing all those different ways of approaching it. It's funny um, when you ask them those questions, isn't it? Because some of them, <clears throat> some of them understand what you're saying. Because the, the important thing to remember is when we're having these, like, not everybody's the same. So that's true. what I love about like when we jump on here and talk to people. It's almost like you're meeting. I, I like to say at a bar because I like a drink. So we're meeting at a bar and we're sitting down. You got a drink. I've got a drink, and away we go. Now I don't know what sort of personality you've got because a lot of these people are, we've never met before. So it's always interesting when you start. Like some people look at you when you're asking about that mindset type stuff. They're like, "Why? Why is that interesting to you?" But some people get it because some people yeah. are like you, and they're like, "Oh, I know where he's going with this," and they give you a really deep insight. So it's it's funny, isn't it? Have you had any interviews where it took you a while? You don't have to name names because. But has, <laughs> have you had any interviews where it took you a while to? to warm into it. Like, you're okay, this isn't quite working. Cause I've had a few myself, as I said, I'm not going to name names, but have you had a few like that? (laughs) 
yeah, I have had a few like that. And I suppose when you get those kind of things, you've, you've got to then ask more questions to sort of, you know, try and draw them out more. But I, I often find that maybe after 10 or 15 minutes, they do start to relax. You know, those kind of people might might be a little bit sort of tentative or a bit nervous, a bit shy at the start. Yeah. Um, but as we were talking before as well, before we started, um, often the best conversations are when you turn the recording off. <laughs> Regrettably, mm. yeah. <laughs> well, told lots of things I would have liked to have put on it. <laughs> That's, I was going to say the amount of uh, content. Yeah, we could. Well, we can't put it out, but yeah, the some of the <laughs> stories and brilliant stuff that we've heard uh, off air would would definitely make for for another <laughs> exciting podcast. That's um, it. Yeah, I mean, it's and and the other thing that's interesting for me talking to these guys is like, I guess, uh, almost opposite to you, like some of these swimmers I'm talking to are like 16, 17. So they're just starting to like this, like um, Ella Ramsey, for example, her podcast comes out this week and she's a brilliant age group swimmer. Um, I think at at this year's age nationals on the Gold Coast, she won 14 medals. So Put that into your brain, people. 14 medals for for one swimmer at one championship. So anyway, a lot of relays, but yeah, and a lot of those were gold. But that was her first ever real, like, interview like this. You know, she's done a few things for newspapers and whatever, but so, you know, for me then it's, okay, this is where I earn my money, not that we get paid to do what we do, but you know what I mean? So this is where we, it's my job to help her, you know, really look good and, and ask the right questions and, um, and she did a brilliant job. And actually, to be honest, I'm blown away sometimes by some of these younger swimmers and, and the way they can have a really good conversation no. with you. Because I think <laughs> at your age, there's no way I would have been able to do this. But absolutely no way. It's yeah. just that opposite scale, isn't it, to talking yeah. to a, a Libby Trickett like I did back in 2018. And, you know, yeah. we end up having to break that into two episodes because we just sat down and spoke for so long versus, you know, yeah. these younger guys who, you know, are still learning to, to have those conversations. Yeah. I mean, it it's it's such a privilege talking to these people. Um, you know, I I sometimes have a few technical difficulties with some of my older guests because they're not quite as techno. Um, but once you get them on and you start, you know, you, you get rid of all those things, some of the gems they can tell you are just so, uh, I mean, as you say, you can put them into your own life experience and, mm. and hear from them. Like one of my guests, um, John Cox, He's a, a world record holder um, in sort of the 85 to 89 age group. But I'm not related your, to him, am I? Maybe I need um, to check my ancestry. Different spelling, different oh. spelling. Oh, okay. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> but before all that, he represented Australia in the Wallabies. Mm-hmm. He um, pioneered laparoscopic surgery for um, abdominal surgery in Australia. Wow. I mean, just all the, he was a, you know, a surgeon and a professor at Melbourne University. I mean, just an amazing life, and and now his his focus is you know on breaking all these world records, um, FINA world records, masters world records, and just just having that sort of mindset that he was able to do all those things in his life is um is just so inspiring. And so that's you know that's the takeaways that we get, and it's great that you're speaking to these young emerging champions. And I'm speaking to the other end of the scale where I've got people that are that old, but obviously people, you know, in their 40s and 50s as well, as well as people like Ellie Cole who are in their late 20s. But, you know, I think bringing all of those stories, everyone that's listening can get something from each of them. Well, look, one of the main things just recently I've really started to to see 
Um, and you know, I'm coming up to, I think it's 140 episodes so far is that there's a massive difference in mindsets between the absolute out and out champions and those who are really good at what they do. And it, it is, it is just a, it's almost Danielle, like not mentally healthy, to be honest. <laughs> like I, I quite often think those who are just really good at what they do. And by really good, I, I mean, like there's two time Olympians and that sort of stuff. Like I'm not downplaying what they've done or what they've achieved by any stretch of the imagination. But when you talk to a Susie O'Neill or a Grant Hackett or an Adam Peaty, there is just another level Very. in terms of their mentality and their thought process that just those other swimmers don't have. And quite a lot of those swimmers, to be honest, identify that and say, yeah, look, that, that those guys, that's why they are where they are. Cause yeah, you know, that, and, and it's been fascinating to me to what, like to, to hear Grant Hackett tell me that he has two silver medals in his top drawer that he looks at as failures is crazy to me and um, crazy to you and crazy to, I would say like 99.5% of the population. But I'm assuming if, if you told that story to Michael Phelps or to Ian Thorpe or to Adam Peaty or to Caleb Dressel now or, you know, Ariane Titmus, Katie Ledecky, they would say, oh, no, I understand what, what he's saying. Yeah. And it's something yeah. that we can't really understand. And that's been fascinating to me to learn. Like so much of what I've been doing through the podcast has developed into professional development for me as a coach. Like I, yes. I started trying to help the swimmers. I've ended up, I think, helping me way more because my swimmers don't even really listen to my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, I mean, one of the side benefits of doing it is that you find out things that can help you as an athlete or a a coach or a podcaster, whatever. But, yeah, the same thing. I mean, a lot of the questions I ask, I think I'd like to know that, you know, that answer for my own training. So it's 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 just so inspiring talking to those types of people. It really, really is. Yeah. And on a, on another sort of uh, tact, I was going to ask you, what do you think is your best podcast that you've done, or who who have you enjoyed? I suppose that's a better way of saying who have you enjoyed talking to the most. Ooh. I know you said the four by one hundred men. I've got a like I've got. I, I think for me, it's very different. So I've got a few that I got really nervous for like sweats and just deep <laughs> breaths and just like, it, like, it would have been funny to watch me before. Cause you're like, just talking to someone, can't you just get in there and talk? So um, Susie O'Neill was one um, yeah. because like, to me, she was, she still is the queen of swimming here in Australia. She is um, obviously we've got the younger brigade coming through now. So I know a lot of the swimmers these days will identify it with Ariane or with Emma McKeon, um, Kayla McEwen. And I can understand that. But for me as a swimming fan, it was Susie. Like, you know, even my nan was blown away that I spoke to Sue. How did you talk to Susie O'Neill? <laughs> so, um, so sitting down with Susie, but again, she was such a pro, um, but I, I was super nervous. The four by one, I was super nervous. Um, Grant Hackett. Um, I think you can see where I'm going. It's more that, that you know, yeah. that um, timeline where they sit in that, you know, that sweet spot of when, for me, swimming was probably at its its peak. And I think we're slowly starting to get back there now, given the success of Tokyo and where we're heading to 2032 in, in Brisbane. And I think yeah. we're going to see a good run of that again. And hopefully, you know, that's why I'm so excited. There's so many podcasts out there now, because now we get to share those stories and hopefully build that. But um yeah, probably those guys. Like, I'll quickly, <clears throat> I'll tell you one. It's not really a funny story. It was actually <laughs> super nerve wracking. So, Adam Peaty, 
So for me, you know, one of the biggest names in world swimming um, right now, um, you know, an absolute out and out superstar. And I finally lined up to, to talk to Adam Peaty. I was super nervous. Like, okay. And I had in my mind, I was talking to him on Tuesday. Right. Well, that was incorrect because I was sitting down having dinner on Monday and I got an inbox saying, Adam Peaty has joined your waiting room. <laughs> And I hadn't like, so for anyone who doesn't know my podcast, although it might sound super organic, I do quite often line up a lot of questions that I want to ask and I have it all very much strategically placed out and I'll go on tangents, um, but I'll always know where I'm coming back to. And I hadn't prepared all of that just yet. So I had to run upstairs really quickly um, apologize profusely for, for just, and I just, you know, obviously said it was a, a I didn't realize that the time zones, because the time zones can make a big difference to, you they do know, make difference, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you another story about that when we finish, because I don't want to bore the listeners, <laughs> but yeah, it's a pain. And um, so I get upstairs quickly. I had 30 minutes to, and I, I just jotted everything down. Like I already had an idea of what I wanted to talk about, but, and, uh, and I was already super nervous. Anyway, we pulled it off and he was such a, a great guy. But that to me was probably one of my most nerve wracking experiences because I thought you can't shit the bed on possibly your biggest interview ever. It just can't happen. So I was actually really proud when I finished that I, because I think if you take me back to 2018 and throw me in that same spot, I probably cancel the interview and say, sorry, I can't do it and lose that conversation forever. Whereas now I've learned to, I guess, you know, take a breath and let it go. And, and again, learning from a lot of these experiences, talking to these guys about like, from, so for them, that's a big swim. For me, this is my big, one of my big meets talking to Adam Peaty and matching wits yeah. with, with, so like Bob Bowman, Michael Phelps's coach who, who I had on the podcast, like that yeah. was nerve wracking on a different level because here's someone who's, you know, regarded as, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And I've got to try and have a conversation with him and make it sound like I'm not a dumbass that I probably feel like I might be like, I know people would say, no, you're not like, you know, think, but you know how we all look at ourselves. So yeah, that was nerve wracking in, in another way, but yeah, there's, there's been a few, I, I don't think I've got some of my favorite conversations as such as some that you wouldn't even think like you wouldn't yeah. even recognize they're just yeah. I finish and I'm like wow that's you know me and Zach Stubbley de Cook have, have stayed in touch after our chat and yeah. we quite often will text backwards and forwards and he loves his cooking and loves his coffee and I do too and we've you know started a, a really good friendship there and you know if yeah. you look back to our first conversation did it you know break any ratings probably not but I took a lot away from it and I, I really you know gelled well with him so I, I think it's all in perspective isn't it it depends what you take away from it Absolutely. And and back to your point about um, Adam Peaty, I mean, I think I'm, I'm the same. I, I try to make it seem like a, you know, a, a fireside chat or a, you know, a coffee shop having a coffee. But, yeah, I, I mean, I obviously do some research as well, but, you know, I have those questions there. But it, it is nice for it to be organic. And I had that very same thing today. I had organised... Um, uh, podcast that I thought was going to happen this afternoon at four o'clock with my guest from Canada. Yeah, and I got the time zones mixed up. It mixed up. It was my fault, and it, and it would have been two a.m. her time, 
(laughs) Obviously can't happen. So we've had to reschedule that. And that's just me not figuring out the time zones, which is really hard hard to do sometimes, figure out when you're going to do it and and when you've got the time to do it. (laughs) It's super, it's super tough. And like, I'll tell you the quick story now that I was going to save for after is that so uh, on T- tomorrow night, I'm, I'm going to talk to Luke Greenbank, um, Team GB swimmer, uh, who's in Italy at the moment with the ISL. So that's a different time zone. And then I'm going to talk to Tom Dean, Olympic gold medalist from, from Tokyo, who's right. still in London. And that's another time zone. Right. So here I'm trying to arrange it. Like, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so easy to get it wrong. So quite often when I'm talking to their managers, I'm like, is this right? And I'll always like, double check. Am I right? Am I right in the way I think? Cause it, it can happen so easy. And yeah, with Adam, Oh man, that was like my, I remember my wife looked at me when I got that email and she thought something really bad had happened. Like someone had messaged us <laughs> like they're in hospital or something. Cause I was just, no, this can't be happening. So finally, luckily enough, we, we got oh. it happening, but yeah. Oh, well, it didn't come across that way. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known you were nervous. Oh, and I thought God. that was one of your best chats, actually. That was great with Adam Pecky. And he gave a lot of himself too, I thought. Yeah. Well, he, he was brilliant in terms of just, yeah. just that champion's mindset. Like, I, I think that was one of my questions was what is a champion? Like what defines a champion in your mind? And I loved his answer, which was around, you know, it's just the little things like I, I'm not finished yet being as fast as I can be. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that sort of mindset. I was talking to Shannon Rollison. I'm a big name dropper, Danielle. I apologize, but <laughs> I was talking to Shannon Rollison and uh, I asked him that question in terms of just coaching. Like what, what motivates you to keep coaching? Like you've been to the top of the mountain, you've climbed the mountain, you've coached uh, a world record holder, an Olympic gold medalist, a world champion. You've achieved. And, and same with Adam Peaty and you can put, you know, everybody, same with Emma McKeon now. Like she's, I want to say she's peaked because obviously the, she can go a couple more medals, but there's not yeah. many more medals she can get to in one <laughs> Olympic Games. No. What's the mindset to come back and go, I want to climb the mountain again? Yeah. Because I do think it's what separates us, Danielle, in terms of Definitely. the people we talk to because it, depending on what it is, I don't want to climb a mountain again. Yeah, that's for sure. Like, you know, if, if I, if I get, you know, an Olympic swimmer and I'm on an Olympic games, I know my thought process might change once I'm there. I might catch the bug and want to, you know, build to it again. But yeah. in my mind, like I, I've, I've achieved that's, that's an ultimate goal as a coach for me is to be on an Olympic games team and, and go to an Olympic games with an athlete. But to, to see these, these coaches like a Michael Bowl just continue to deliver oh, year after year after year is and he's so unassuming too. He's such a great guy he, to, to he chat is. to. He's, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, if you didn't know Michael Bowl, there's no way you'd look at him and go, oh, there's the super coach. And, and you know, he's, he's the, the best coach in, in Australia at the moment. And that's my opinion. Um, but when you sit down and talk to him, he's, he's just a, a tremendous guy. And um, obviously, you know, has a lot to still offer swimming here in Australia, but yeah, I'd love to just pick the brain of, of those guys. Like, why do you just keep, you, you, you've climbed the mountain. You know how much time and energy goes into those those climbs, sacrifices away from family, away from friends, um, not going on this trip, not doing that. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and then they say, no, I want to go again. I want to climb the mountain again. It fascinates me. It really does. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's. Ta- I've heard him on a few different podcasts, and he. I love the way he just casually sort of you know talks about Steph Rice's training, and then jumps into Emma's, and then says what he's doing with Emily, and you know, it's all very. I love that technical side, so mm. I love hearing about those kind of things. Um, and I really enjoyed your one with Bob Bowman as well because he gave so much insight behind what he did day to day on pool deck you know, with uh, Michael Phelps. So, you know, I find those really interesting. And I think as a as the podcast host, I've got to try and steer away from always getting those type of people on my podcast. So I try to have a little bit more variety so that there's some open water swimmers, there's some coaches, there's some, you know, people around um, strength and conditioning. And um, I haven't had a dietitian on yet, but I, I really want to, you know, and talk about those kind of things as well as hearing from the swimmers who are doing it in the water. And it's a, it's a balance that I try to get. And um, I really like the way you've been able to do that with different coaches and having that new way of having an age group emerging swimmer as well as a current champion and a a past champion. I think that works really well. Yeah, no, thank you. It's it's one that I actually have a quote that I have next to my desk, which is always remember why you started. And it's an important one for me, as we talked about before, because I can get quite competitive and... (laughs) I can, you know, have a look around and obviously, you know, Brett Hawke, you've got Swim Swam, you've got all of these different podcasts and, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. Once we start rocking and rolling, I, I get really competitive and I, and I want to try and, you know, be the best podcast that's out there. And I really do push the limits and what have we got this and what have we got that? And, you know, as I said, that four by one to me blew my mind that I was able to get those four guys together. Um, but it's important to remember why I started and I didn't start to be the number one podcast or anything like that. I started to give stories to my swimmers and to people who are interested in swimming about, you know, how those guys got there and and give a bit of insight. And so, you know, I I like when, you know, I hear that and I appreciate it. Thank you. Because that's what I've, why I've got that quote next to me is to sort of humble me and go, hang on a second, put your, you know, keep your shoes on, just relax and, just go back to your process and and reach out to the younger swimmers and reach out to, you know, I, I like to talk to um, New Zealand swimmers as well because I don't think the, the New Zealand um, swimming side of it get enough recognition for what they're doing and they're starting to build a really good program down there in NZ as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. reaching out to those guys. And, yes, it's it's humbling to talk to Ariane Titness and Kaylee McEwen and, and, you know, Cole Chalmers will come on at some stage and I get to talk to these tremendous athletes and and yes. I love it. Um, but I also really enjoy talking to those age group swimmers. And like yeah. one of my favorite things was uh, talking to Molly O'Callaghan last year and, you know, pretty much telling everyone, watch this swimmer. This is the swimmer yeah. you need yeah. to watch. And then seeing her go to the Olympic games and not only go like kill it. Like she came away, her stocks rose in Tokyo. Like people yeah. who had no idea who Molly O'Callaghan was, they were like, who's this Molly O'Callaghan? And, and I, I'm not taking credit for saying that I, you know, I'd had anything to do with that's her effort and that's Dean Boxel and Maxine and, and that's the St. Peter's Western program. They, they're killing it. But I, yeah. I love the fact that we got to shine a light on that story to let people know that this was coming. And that's a, that's an important part for me. As I said, Sydney Brown, um, I, I had on last week, a, a young swimmer from West Illawarra here in Sydney, and she's killing it as well. And Ellie, uh, Ella Ramsey. And for that reason, it's not so much, um, to make them popular with their friends or anything else. It's that, you know, yeah. you or any other fan that's listening to the podcast can identify, okay, well, what's that name? Let's keep an eye on this name. And then as they come through, 
you resonate with that swimmer. You identify with that swimmer. People who listened to Molly O'Callaghan that really enjoyed that podcast last year, when they saw her at the Olympic Games, there's no doubt they got up on their feet and were cheering her a lot harder than they would have had they not known. And I think, you know, going back to why we started the podcast, that wasn't happening. So that was my main goal, like, because... When you watch Amazon Prime, I thought they did a fantastic job in in Olympic trials. And when you watch Channel 9 or Channel 10 or whoever's got the rights, no doubt you're going to get the Kate Campbell story. No offense to Kate. Love Kate. She's a fantastic person, champion. We talked about it. But, you know, we know Kate. I want to know the other swimmers. I want to know the other ones coming through. And, And quite often with those coverages, it just covers the same people we've already seen and we already know. And I think it's really important to give those those swimmers, you know, like Molly, like um, who else have we had on that came through? Tommy, Tommy Neal, Tommy Neal. I had Tommy Neal on, and you know, look at look at him go with that four by two and and getting Olympic medal and um, and having the balls to have make a joke on national TV and say it was better than Lego and things like that. Like he <laughs> just he's a great character. He's a top he's a top guy. And um, yeah. but I appreciate that. Like people who really liked that interview would have would have watched that relay and watched him racing in Tokyo and gone, oh, I know that guy. That's that's our guy. We really like him. So that's important to me to always remember that because it's whilst it's humbling to talk to Kyle Chalmers. Um, and and they're all great people. Those sort of you know high profile Ariane's and and they give you so much. Um, in terms of the greater um, perspective, I guess you know yeah. they they already get quite a lot of pats on the back from a lot of people. And they'll tell you that. So yeah. it's nice, as you said, to to look back and to reach out to different people and um, to yeah. shine that light that might not be being shined is uh, is important to me and that's why i keep that quote there always remember and i like that quote because i think it relates to everything in life always remember why you started because we can get ahead of ourselves quite a bit and as i said <laughs> it happens to me a lot um and it's yeah. something that i'm still trying to learn to deal with just you know stay in my own lane focus on what i'm doing and and do my best but uh we, we, we stumble sometimes, but we're, we're doing better than we probably used to. Exactly. I think it's interesting that you said that about um, talking to sort of like the, the top superstars and then the other people who are sort of coming through. Like some of the people that I've approached to come on the podcast that I think, wow, this is the biggest person I've had on. This is going to be my best podcast. It's going to get the most downloads. Um, and yet the people that are less well-known that I've found and share their really sincere and true story. They're the ones that get the most downloads for, for, for me anyway. Mm. Um, like I would have thought one or two of mine would have got a lot and they've been my lowest sort of downloads along the way. So it's really interesting. And I'm trying to still get that balance and figure out what people really want to hear and, you know, engage, engage with people and find out what they want to know about. Yeah, no, it's, it's, well, a, it's the art of what we're what we're doing too, and understanding what the listeners want to hear, and you know yeah. um, where they want to go with it. But uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, Charlie Brown, who's now swimming um, over in uh, America in the college system, but she swims um, trained in in Manly here in Sydney. Um, you know, her episode was one of the biggest downloads because of that. You know, Sydney Club, and and you know, so many other Sydney clubs. They, you know, all the coaches like Charlie, and all the swimmers like Charlie, and they wanted to hear it as well. So, you know, you're right. Whilst we we do sometimes chase those those big names, 
and sometimes they do really well, but at the same time, sometimes those stories have been told and, and, you know, they do want to hear those other stories that haven't been told before. And quite often that's where the gold is. So that's our job is to, you know, to try and bring the stories as much as we can. Like, I don't know about you, but I actually hate being on the podcast in terms of like people knowing who I am or what I'm like. I, I, I absolutely do not do a podcast to promote myself. It's, it's one of my pet hates. That's why I didn't want to do videos because I didn't want people to see my head. Um, it's all about, you know, the, the swimmers and their stories and people resonating with that. And, um, and that's my job is to bring it to them, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting sometimes in terms of, um, just gauging, you know, where that audience is and what they want to listen to. Cause it, it's not always easy. No, I know. I mean, one of my favorite, well, one of my favorite podcasts that I've done and one that sort of um, got the mo- one of the most downloads was earlier in the year when we came out of lockdown, the um, Queensland Masters long course champs were on. And it was the first time that um, I went up there with a group of Victorians. We had a, about 10 or 11 of us. It was the first time that we had raced all of last year. We had every competition was cancelled and everything got cancelled and there was only one open water swim over the Christmas period and we were just so looking forward to going to this race. And so when I was up there, I thought, oh, maybe I'll interview people on pool deck and just get a little grab about, you know, what they were liking about racing again. And I just went around and talked to sort of like 10 or 12 different master swimmers and sort of put it put it together as a bit of a podcast. And, and that was the, the, the best sort of, fun that I had doing the podcast because people were so happy to be back racing in this community and the sun was shining in Queensland and it was it was just it was just the best the best ever and I think that that came across and all of those people I spoke to were just so delighted to share their sort of passion about being back swimming Mm. I think that that was one of our you know the one of the best um, podcasts that I put out It, it was nothing it wasn't planned it was really organic um, I spoke to Bronte and Kate's mum, who's a master swimmer as well, Jennifer Campbell. So, you know, there was there was all those kind of links in with people who were, you know, about to head to Tokyo and, and whatnot. Yeah. But it was just really off the cuff. I was standing on pool deck with my little microphone going like this. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was not organised, but it turned out to be one of the best ones that I did, I thought. Now, be honest, Danielle, lift the lid on uh, what a Masters Week looked like. How much shenanigans go on on a Masters Week as well? Like how how often are we, you know, at the bar, at the, like after the meet and just enjoying yourselves? Because, you know, I can only imagine that there'd be a bit of fun going on as well as uh, swimming. Well, I think on that, on that uh, trip, there was dinners and and wines and things like that happening each night. But uh, definitely at a, a Masters National meet, there's always some kind of a a party that this you know like an after party that you have at nationals and yeah. things get pretty wild they get pretty wild i can only imagine <laughs> you know um it just reminds so i um big matchbox 20 fan and my wife and i went to uh, the hunter valley um it's a while ago now but to to watch matchbox 20 at the hunter valley and the amount of I don't want to say older people because I'm 35. I'm starting to get older too. But the amount of, you know, mature age, let's say, people that were getting thrown out from bad behaviour, trying to jump fences (laughs) and doing all their dancing on chairs. And I just thought this, like the poor young people that always get in trouble for their bad behaviour, they're always (laughs) on the news. And here I am looking around at all these 50-year-old 
uh, men and women. Just, oh, mate, it was great to watch, to be honest. I was, I was really enjoying it. But, um, yeah, I've, I'd never seen that before. It was just, it was like schoolies, but for, for mature age people, it was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's what a, a Nationals after party is <laughs> like. And well, I might get back into swimming then. I might have to <laughs> join it because it sounds like fun. <laughs> you add in a bit of um, theme, you know, a bit of a dress-up theme and then you've really got you've got people really going wild oh, there we go dress-ups <laughs> as well hey just quickly on um obviously we're you know we're talking so much about swimming tokyo did what what did you enjoy most about the swimming over there have you got any highlights from from what you watched oh boy everything to me was a highlight i i was absorbed with it for the whole time it was on plus the paralympic swimming as well i mean i know it sounds very twee to say ariane and and um and Emma, for me, Kaylee, Kaylee's swim, being a, a backstroker myself, I loved her 100 and 200 backstroke. And I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to, um, to swim that 100 backstroke and have all that emotion and everything tied into it and then to get herself up again to swim the 200 back. I think that was amazing. And then I think for me the, the lovely moment was when she asked Emily to present her medal yeah. and then they both stood on the dice because Emily's had such a journey to get there as well. I've always been a big fan of Emily and, you know, she missed out on that gold in London by the barest of margins. I think it was like 0.02 behind Missy mm. Franklin. And, you know, she's she's really hung in there and I was, love, you know, I was so glad to see her get a medal in that race as well. So to me, even though I thought everyone else did a marvellous job and um, Zach's double T cook swim was amazing as well, mm. but being a past none wanting swimmer, I have to say that um, Brendan Smith and I swam yeah. with his dad actually. Um, Brendan Brendan's race in the four hundred IM was um, you know a great a great yeah. start to the games. I thought that was a really great swim, gutsy swim. Yeah, no, and it was sort of I say surprising because it sounds bad, but it was one that you know I don't think people had marked on their calendars to say okay, watch this race and we we might be in with a medal chance here. So he definitely surprised people. Uh, he's a really nice kid. I've had him on the OTB crew podcast quite a few times, having a chat on there. And uh, what was really funny about that was I think he thought he was coming on sunrise or something because he was really like <laughs> super straight with his answers and like just giving those real, you know, clinical, you know, yeah, but, you know, it's just great to be part of the team. And then for anyone who's listened to the OTB crew, we're definitely not like that. It's not like off the blocks. It's quite opposite to be honest like we say things you really shouldn't be saying so it was funny to watch him understand like working out like hang on a second I don't think I don't think this is what I thought it was going to be but he's, he's a great kid and and I've kept in touch with him quite a lot since Tokyo as well and he's really enjoying the ISL over there and yeah. Um, that environment and just and how could you not being in Naples and just bloody oh, living wow. the high life over there and I'm really jealous I've got to admit I've probably got to stop talking to those guys a little bit at the moment because yeah. they're making me <laughs> they're making me jealous but um yeah no you're right in terms of those performances they, they were so crazy I, I think you know the standout probably one in terms of just my reaction there's two one was Zach Stubblity Cook just because uh, I know his journey and I know what he's been through. And, you know, to my point before about telling these stories, like I just went on that ride with him. So that was, that was phenomenal. And then Ariane Titmus, because that story was a build up for three years yeah. for everybody. It wasn't just for Ariane. It wasn't just for Dean Boxel. It wasn't just for Katie Ledecky and Greg, me and her coach. And we all went on that journey that was one that ev everyone knew like everyone knew from from 2019 really 
once when she beat her at, at the world champs and, and we know yes. that Katie, Katie was sick, um, but that's where it really started, you know, and, and everybody went on that journey from there. And it's, it's very rare, I think, and that, you know, it's all, it was almost like a boxing match that it was just built up that way. Do you know what I mean? And not that the girls went at each other that way. I'm sure they're, you know, really respectful behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff, but obviously us as public and the media built it up as, as that. And it was, um, from an Australian perspective, I'm sure the uh, US probably didn't get that excited. But from an Australian perspective, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was it was just a moment um, that yeah, had been built that anticipation, and we haven't had anything like that no. before, probably since you know 2000 in the Sydney Olympic Games with you know building, and that was more of a team aspect. This was very individual, wasn't it? I yeah. guess the other example was Kyle and Caleb Dressel in the hundred. And, and obviously the roles reversed there. And I thought Kyle, just as another highlight, his interview after the oh, race brilliant. was, uh, you know, just a great example for all the young swimmers out there to, you know, he, he's another one who has that champion mentality, no doubt. But you could see there that there was a healthy understanding that, okay, well, that just wasn't my best on the day in terms of, you know, that Caleb was faster on the day. That's not the end of the world just what it is today. No doubt he was gutted on the inside a little bit, but just, yeah. you know, rationing it, I guess, and saying, you know, that's not the end of me. This is just a part of the story. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful takeaway for all the young swimmers out there. And on, on that same point, I I mean, what I really loved this time was the fact that we as Australia, we usually do very, we, we usually swim pretty fast at our trials. And we always have a bit of trouble backing up and coming into the Olympics and, and making all those things happen. And this time we did it. Mm. I say we. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not in the water and I have nothing to do with it. But My swimmers say that, Danielle, quite often to me. I say, right, we're going to go. And they're like, who's this we? You're just going to stand there with your coffee and a stopwatch watching me. That's not we. Um, no, you're right. And I think, you know, it started with with Jakob Verharen when he came in and wanting to change the 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 time in terms of when the trials are in relation to the meets and we did it uh in 2018 for com games as well and had a a fantastic uh results at com games so it's something that obviously we've copied america in terms of what they're doing um and we weren't sort of stuck in our ways like we were for a very long time and um it wasn't for everyone like obviously the results speak for themselves but i do know talking to coaches and talking to people leading up to it they they like the other way of doing it and trialing up in in March and having another sort of lead up program. But I don't think you can doubt um, what, you know, those results were. If you look at that, as I said, go back to 2019 uh, at World Champs, go back to 2018 Com Games. Um, I think it's a a winning formula. So I think we need to stick with that now because it it clearly is working. Definitely. But, I, I mean, a lot of coaches out there, as you say, have had to change their mindset. You know, I know... I used to train with um, Lee Nugent Nugget, mm-hmm. um, and we would we would taper once a year, and that would be it. That was once a year. There was no other taper, and it was a long, you know, taper, which was great. That was fun at the time. <laughs> but I think the fact that you know, I heard Dean Boxel say he only gave Ariane three days off yeah. before the trials, and then they went back into hard work, and she was even doing that right up till she got there because she had to, you know, keep that taper going right through to the 800 later in the week. So that whole mindset and the way that's changed, that's intriguing to me and I think really, you know, might change the face of swimming 
in the fact that you can do your blocks of hard work and then you can come up for a meet that you're going to and then get back into it straight away. So I think that we can all take away a lot from those kind of things that we're seeing on the Australian scene, the Australian swimming scene. Oh, for sure. There's there's so many things that we're learning, um, even, you know, going back to what we talked about before about, you know, when you're 15, 16 and people used to tell you that was it, you, you're done for now and now we're learning. Like, we're constantly learning. There's many ways to skin a cat. Um, you know, what, what works for a sprinter is not going to work for a distance swimmer and all those sort of yeah. things where back in the day, um, a sprinter who didn't keep up on a really hard set was just a soft swimmer. They were just someone that you just, you know, to be honest, bullied back in the day. And then now, now we've learned that, yeah. uh, well, we, we probably got that wrong. And if we'd looked after them well enough, they probably could have been really, really good. So, yeah. I think the positive to take away from it is that we're we are learning. It's not as if we're still stuck in our ways and um, just following along from it. Um, just quickly, on a side note, because it, it's just come to me, and I, and I want to get your perspective. There's a, a lot going on at the moment with um, a board set up of women in terms of talking about what's going on in swimming programs, and uh, you know if there's been any sort of uh, wrongdoings to to athletes or to coaches or all that sort of stuff. What do you think about that? And have you know? I want to say, do you have any stories yourself? Because I don't want you to to have to put stuff out there. But do you have any like experience in that area? And and have you seen anything or anything like that? Um, I think it's a really good thing that they're doing, and I think it's needed. Um, I think I have in from my teenage years saw a lot of that kind of stuff happening. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of fat shaming, weighing females female sort of teenage swimmers on pool deck. Um, even even up at the AIS, I went up there on a visitor's scholarship at one point and they did that same kind of thing and just, yeah, being told by coaches, male coaches, mm. those kind of things over the years, yep. I saw a lot of that and a lot of people that I swam with still sort of suffer with those kind of, um, you know, feelings from that time. Yeah. So I think I... My my personal perspective was that when, and I love Kieran Perkins, and I don't want to say anything against him, but when he came out and said that that's not happening in our sport now, I think that's, from my perspective, incorrect. If you're not a female, you you can't understand that. So mm. I think what Manny Groves has done is interesting, and I think it's it's needed. And even though we're having this success in the pool at the moment. I think there's still things that um, swimming community can do better, yeah. and I think it's only it's only going to help moving forward. And I I would hate to have young girls turned off swimming now from some of the things that I saw on pool deck and and that I experienced when I was that age as well. So I think if we can if we can make people understand those things better, then it's it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. I, look, we were talking about on the OTB crew the other day, and you know, as a coach myself, I'd be sh- look, I'd be shocked and floored right now if I was on pool deck with another coach and heard them speak that way to another athlete. I would certainly probably speak up myself and say, "Hang on a second, you, can, you can't be saying things like that that way." Um, it is a fine line as a coach as well, because as you know, as an athlete, you do have to be in in race mode like you have to be ready to go that you know there's no doubt if we're a bit out of shape and look at me we're all out of shape i'm, I'm just around shape um <laughs> there's you know there, there's no doubt it plays a part in our sport so it has to be a conversation at some stage i think 
about, you know, we have, but it's the way you bring it up. It's the way you talk about it. I think, yeah, I I think for me, because I've always gone through my own sort of ups and downs and yo-yo weight, I think I've always been um, sort of in tune with that and making sure I I don't sort of say it in a, in a super negative way. I think it's all got to be about, to be honest, just uh, healthy and, and making the right choices to help your body perform at its peak at the day. I, I think yeah. if you go through the words of fat and all that sort of stuff, I just think it's negative. Like I don't even like diet, um, dietitian. I don't like diet. I hate that word diet. I think it, to me, it sounds negative. It sounds like, oh, you're big. You need to go on a diet. Yeah. I think I like nutritionists. I like talking about nutrition. I like talking about things like that. So like, I, I think just going back to what Maddie said and what you mentioned about Kieran, I, I think, would it be happening as much as it used to? Not a chance. Uh, like no, I, not. yeah, no. To say it's not happening at all, I think is a little yeah. bit naive and just probably a little bit of ass yeah. covering, to be honest, if we're really being honest. It's probably just, he's got to say that. He can't come out and say, oh, yeah, it's happening widespread. And, you know, because uh, then, you know, that, that's probably going to have a lot of ramifications for people's jobs and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's a balance with it. Um, I, I like you support, you know, what Maddie's, what Maddie's doing and the stance she's making. And I think, um, we need to learn more about that. Um, but I think it's also important. And I just put the boys perspective out there too, that there's, there's a lot of boys that go through their own sort of, um, body issues and, and things like that. That's sort of the opposite to that sometimes, or it probably doesn't get spoken about nearly as enough because it's, it's a boy. And, it, it, you know, I think, for me, when we go down that line of of just, you know, working with the females to try and do that, I think we're like, there's a lot of boys I know that have um, body issues in terms of they're 12 and they're really scrawny and little and tiny and they want to be big, you know, and they, they go through a lot of that because there's the older boys that are maturing before them and they're seeing that. And there's also the flip side of that, um, you know, that they're the boys that are probably chubbier when they're younger. And as a coach and being 20 years, I know that, you know, mum and dad are pretty big. So that's all going to streamline up as you get up, but they don't understand that. Yeah. So I, I think it's important for me. I always try to balance it. I, I don't think it's one way or the other. I think that conversation needs to be had across the board. I, I, for me, I don't think it needs to be, oh, we just need to look after the female swimmers because I think there's there's no yeah. doubt there'd be boy swimmers, male swimmers, who someone said to them, oh, you've put on a bit. Because to a boy, oh, you know, you can have a bit of banter. But as, yeah. a, as a bigger guy myself, I know there are times you take that with you. Now, yeah. You might not show it to people, but you take that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, I think conversations like that need to change. It's more in the terminology, Danielle, to be honest. I, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I mean, I yeah, I didn't, I had never thought about for the perspective of boys, so I think yeah. that they, they do need to, to bring that in. I mean, I look back to sort of, um, you know, the time when I was swimming when there were no female coaches. Mm. It was older male coaches who were in charge. And, I mean, I think that that mindset, you know, as with the Me Too movement and everything else, things have moved forward and people are much more aware. But back then that was just the way things were done. It's not correct. It's not right. But I remember, you know, one of our, and I won't mention who it was, but one of our um, Australian swimmers who's a, a medalist, being sort of called out by Don Talbot in the press for saying that she had a butter bum and things like that. I mean, yeah. that, that's not appropriate. Not and at all. Not appropriate to say that personally, but to say it in the media mm. and, and things like that. I mean, 
those kind of things would not be, you know, not be, <laughs> no one would put up with them these days. But And they have yeah. happened before. Mm. And so I think that anything we can do to make everyone in the sport more comfortable um, is the right thing to do. And I, I think that I, I really hope that we see some sort of change from that. And as you say, I don't think it's happening as much as it was, mm. but I still think it probably does happen. Yeah, and I, I think it would just be all in the choice of words, if yeah. I'm being really honest. Like there, there's no doubt, and Maddie Groves would even, you know, attest to this herself. She's an athlete. She's an athlete who needs to perform at her, you know, at her peak to achieve her goals. There's no doubt conversations need to be had around nutrition and, you know, how we're fueling our body and the training we're doing because, we, you know, these guys are athletes. These guys and girls are athletes and it's just, yeah, w- what words are you using? Choose your words very carefully. And that's why, yeah, for me, I think, you know, it has to be around nutrition for starters, not dietitians. And uh, I'm sure someone smarter than me will school me up on that and how dietitian that word isn't negative. But in my mind, when I hear it, I, I hate the word diet. Like I hate when a swimmer says to me, oh, I'm going to go on this something diet. I'm like, no, you're not. We're not going on any diets at all. But, um, yeah, just just choose your words carefully. Any coaches out there yeah. that are listening? And I, I find it crazy to think that there was, um, you know, not as many or well, hardly any female coaches back in the day because to me I never see – when I'm on pool deck, I don't look at coaches. Oh, there's that guy coach. There's a female. I just see coaches. Like I just, yeah. you know – most of my staff are made up of female coaches and I don't go, Oh, I've got female coaches. I just know I've got coaches. Like it doesn't register to me that, you know, that I have female coaches and what maybe someone who, you know, from back in the day would look at that and go, wow, like that's a bit, like that's a big progression from where we were. It wouldn't register to me because I, you know, to me it's normal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that that change is good. And females want to just be seen as, you know, another coach. It shouldn't be a male female thing no. anyway. So I think, you know, that it is a, it's a, as you know, being a coach, it's a hard, it's a very hard sort of lifestyle with the early mornings and the, the later nights and it impacts yeah. on your family and all those things. So it is hard if you are a woman and you've got young children and you're doing that job as well. So that's probably what turns a lot of those people off that, you know, there's a lot of assistant coaches that who are females. And there's not, there's even even now, and I know we've had Tracy Menzies, but we've lost her to the sport. There's, you know, I don't see, I didn't see any other female coaches on that Australian swimming team in Tokyo. And next no. time, I would like to see some. <laughs> yeah, well, there's definitely some brilliant female coaches out there. Um, you know, Janelle Pallister's doing a fantastic she's job doing up a great on the Gold job. Coast, and yeah, um, you know, I, I talk to her quite often. She's she's killing it, and there's you know there's a multitude of them. So they're coming through. It's just yeah. getting opportunities and um, and getting their swimmers on the team. Obviously, yeah. Well, fun. results, yeah, yeah, <laughs> results yeah. have to happen. But yeah, I yeah. think a lot of it's opportunities at times as well. And we're obviously working in that right direction. But yeah, I think. Just going back to that sort of in- inquiry and stuff like that, I'd like to see it be across the board. So it's not just targeted at what's going on with female athletes. It's what's going on with athletes. athletes I, I don't like the sectioning of, well, we're just going to look at what's that. There's no doubt there's going to be stories there. And, and you know, some of them would probably horrify us to, to hear certain things. But I, I think if you look in the other direction as well as what's happening with with boys and, and I, I think some of those guys would have their own stories. They're probably just not... Um, you know, it's not manly to say it, is it? It's not the man yeah. thing to do. It's just a man thing to cop it on the chin and, and crack on with it. So, um, yeah, yeah, for me, yeah, just looking at 
being equal. I, I really, it's just, that's a life thing to me, Danielle, to be honest. Yeah. No, I hate when we did, you know, um, Black Lives Matter. I understand they do. And, and, and I'm outraged when I see certain things, but I think all lives matter. And there's, there's atrocities going on across the, now we're getting really deep. Now we're going off the top of a swimming. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, now Danielle's going to have to think, do I edit this out or do I really think it's a good conversation? But <laughs> but it's true, you know, I, it, it's got to be across the board. I, I don't like when we segregate things. Um, but again, that's coming from me and I'm a white male with probably being very privileged to get things. So maybe I don't have the perspective of others, but uh, I, don't, I certainly don't think of it that way. You know, most of my coaching staff are, are Chinese. I don't look at them as I've got all Chinese coaches. I just look at it. I've got coaches. So yeah. Um, I, I like that way of thinking. Maybe I'm naive, Danielle, and thinking that everybody thinks that way. <laughs> no, I mean I think that you you're a product of how old you are, and you're you know you're lucky that you've you've been in this time where things are becoming more equal. Yeah. Um, that didn't used to be the way. Mm. It, it certainly didn't used to be the way, and I think that a lot of uh, I mean I'm probably reading more into this, but a lot of those kind of comments from male coaches towards female teenage swimmers could also be seen, and I don't want to be putting words into anyone's mouth, could be seen in a sort of a predatory manner. Not yeah. predatory, That's not the right word. I know what you mean, though. Sexual manner. No, yeah. Yeah. That's none of those things. But just stepping over the line of hmm. what a coach-athlete relationship should be. So yeah. it should be, as you say, talking about nutrition and fueling your body to give your best athletic performance. It should not be about how a female body changes as a teenager when you hit puberty mm. because females don't have any control over that. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I think that people are much more aware of those things today and the impact that they can have. And I can certainly tell you that there's a lot of women my age who are still dealing with those kind of comments that were made when they were yeah. teenagers, and that's sad. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. Like, you know, I, I swam myself, not sort of at a super high elite level, but um, I was a part of a squad that was um, fairly elite, like Jim Piper, Amanda Pascoe, Felicity Galvez was in our squad, Matt, Matthew Hall. Anyway, we had Campbelltown. We had a pretty big squad. And, yeah. um, you know, the amount of times you would see um, – at times when they were doing skin folds and things like that. And some of the girls would run away crying and I, I wouldn't have heard the conversation. So I'm not just, I'm not saying what's, what was said, but there's no doubt it probably wouldn't have been uh, super positive in terms of where those skin folds were at. So, and, yeah. and again, that's just now that we've evolved, hopefully, hopefully majority of us have, and um, still those conversations probably need to be had, but what words are you using and, and what sort of line are you taking with those girls who are young and impressionable and have feelings and you've got to take all that into consideration whereas I guess back in the day it was just hidden with the truth and yeah it might not even be a nice truth and like sometimes you probably embellished it because they were you know who knows how coaches think Daniel it might have been oh I'll do this to GM up and this will really yeah. get him to fire up and make me you know eat my words and I think we've learned that you know sometimes those things aren't the right way to go and um, yeah. as I said I think maybe for me as a, a a person just who's um, weight yo-yos and goes up and down. I think I have more of a perspective on it that I know what it feels like to have people jokingly say, you know, even big fella. Listen, I'm going to tell everybody out there, if you've got a friend who you call big fella, he doesn't like it. He might not ever tell you, 
but it gets him every time you say, how are you going, big fella? Because we're not big fellas in our own minds. So it's just those little things. They don't know that that's, you know, getting to someone. So even, you know, looking back at the days when coaches would say stuff like that, um, I don't think they intentionally went out to hurt somebody's feelings. And I'm not saying that's everyone because I'm sure there are, you know, um, situations and things where, there were coaches who just were out of line and purposely out of line and need to be pulled up. But I think a lot of it too was just not understanding, you know, I people's feelings. I, I don't think I don't think any of those coaches that I sort of remember from that time actually were trying to be mean. Mm. I think they were trying to use reverse psychology. Yeah. To, you know, as you say, like gear the, you know, G the swimmer up and and get them moving. Mm. But they just didn't realise the sort of the impact that that was having. Oh, and it's massive impact. It's, yeah. it's huge. Like, as you said, it, it continues on for, for years and years down the track. And it's sad as a coach to hear that. And I would mm. hate to think, and I, I don't think I've ever done, but who knows? Like the other, the other day, I shouldn't even tell you this story, but the other day, <laughs> one of my, and it, it just, it's, it's an example, and I'll put myself out there, but it's an example of not really knowing what you're saying. So I said, apparently to one of my swimmers, where are you from in terms of like, what's your background? And she said, Chinese. And I said, apparently, I don't remember it, but are you sure? Cause you don't look like Florence and she looks really Chinese. Oh. And she said, I like, she said, I wasn't offended, but she's like, I didn't realize you would like, why would you say them? Like, I didn't even remember saying it that way. Like, I don't, do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't my intention to so, and I think a lot of it is around that. Like, it's just co- yeah. people understanding uh, might be even broader than coaching and swimming, mate. Might be just the world in general. But, you know, owning what you're saying, understanding what you're saying before, you know, you do what Robbie does and open his big mouth and put his foot in it. Cause I didn't mean it that way. Like, you know, 75% of my swimmers are, are Chinese or, or Korean or Japanese. So it doesn't, you know, it's not a, a racist thing. It was just Robbie talking, Robbie talk, and not really yeah. understanding that that could have hurt somebody's feelings. So, yeah, there you go. There's a story for people out there that can now <laughs> judge me heavily, but please understand that I, I love all my swimmers. <laughs> well, don't worry. In this day and age, Robbie, the teenagers that you are dealing with will just come and tell you that they don't like it. Yeah. Well, so, she didn't even say she didn't like it. She was just like, well, you're, you're aware. This is what you said. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even mean it that way. So yeah, it blew my mind that I'd actually said it. I actually took a moment on my way home to think, hang on a second. I shouldn't have said that. I got, you know, as I said, I didn't mean it that way. So, but yeah, it's just things <laughs> that come out of your mouth sometimes, I guess. That's right. <laughs> well, I suppose we should wind this up because we've been talking for about two hours. Wow. Do you know what I think, Danielle? I think <laughs> when you talk for that long, it means it's been a good conversation. So, and more often than not, as I said, I've got like a whole two, three pages of questions. I actually only wrote down three dot points and we've been talking for longer than I normally do. So it means we've, we've had a good chat. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Me too. It's always good talking to someone who is as passionate about swimming as me. Absolutely. I think when you, and that's what happens, I think sometimes, especially you you go back to mentioning those really good conversations that you have with people. And it's when those sort of like-minded people, you know, connect for the first time and they don't realize until they do. And then they're like, oh, here we go. And then something, you know, as you can tell by the way my mind works, you say something so it piques my interest. And now we're going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> and I can see, I can see your face too. Some of the times like, where are we going with this? And should we be going this way? Or I don't know. Like 
all right, no, I'm into it. Let's go this way. So, but I, I like it. And um, as I said, hopefully if people have listened to this conversation, they can take some stuff away from it. And, um, and, and if anything, just food for thought. Um, I think if, if I could have helped anyone in this conversation, it's think before you speak. Think before you speak. <laughs> That's a good takeaway. I like that. Oh, I've got to tell it to myself every day, Danielle. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thank you. Yeah, for coming on. I mean, this is a collaboration at the end of the day. So thanks yeah. for, for coming on off the blocks as well. And continue to do what you do. As I said, I, I, I love the fact that now when you, you know, select swimming podcasts in terms of whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever, there's a plethora. And, you know, there's there's so many different ways that are covered. If you like, you know, master swimming and triathlon swimming and all that sort of stuff, there's, you know, there's the market for that. There's a market for high elite athletes um, as well. There's a market for, I'm getting phone calls. So now, you know, we've definitely spoken for a long time. Uh, there's a, there's a market for, you know, for so many different things and, you know, you're doing your bit, I'm doing my bit and I'm just happy yeah. to be a part of it. Yeah. I was touched that you reached out and asked to do a collab. So um, everything we can do for swimming in general, I think, is um, a really important and, and great thing that we can get out there. And the more people that can hear about swimming and, and get involved in it, the better. Absolutely. And I, I just want to touch on, I guarantee you people that do tune into this podcast did not know that we were going to go down the rabbit holes that we did. And I think they probably in the end think, actually, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be because we, yeah, we definitely didn't just stick to, you know, who did you like talking to? Who do I like talking to? And I, I'm glad we did that because I think it's, it's good conversation and it's what goes on in pool deck, isn't it? What we just spoke about is what people are talking about around the pool. And um, yep. I think everyone's got their own stories. And, and so, yeah, think before you speak, people. That's that's yeah. my takeaway. <laughs> that's a good takeaway. <laughs> uh, thanks, Danielle. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Bye. I'd like to thank Robbie for being so generous with his time and advice in making this collab happen. I encourage you to like and subscribe to both Off the Block Swimming Podcast and Torpedo Swim Talk so you never miss an episode. Because for swimming tragics like ourselves, there is never too much chat about life in the water. Till next time, happy swimming and goodbye.